Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. John John and Nathan Florence have both been using Whoop for over three years now to balance their training both in and out of the water. Now, Whoop is introducing the all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training and health, personalized recommendations, and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthy with Whoop. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm, designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their Whoop body sensor-enhanced technical garments. The all-new Health Monitor dashboard gives you a big-picture look at your overall health. Monitor key metrics like heart rate, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, skin temperature, and blood oxygen levels. Plus, see improvements in irregularities and vital signs over time. You can even export 30-day health trends to share with your coach, trainer, PT, PCP, or physician. The all-new waterproof device is free when you sign up for a Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left of your membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. And right now, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code BEACHGRIT at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter B-E-A-C-H-G-R-I-T at checkout to save 15%. Hello and welcome to Dirty Water, episode 50, a faithful, unedited interview overplayed with light sarcasm and the musical splash of well-earned laughter. Today's guest transcribed one million words in the pursuit of the truth, relatively speaking, of Mickey Dora, surfing his great voodoo god for his book, or for a few perfect waves. Dora was style in the water, suits out of it, convertibles, Hollywood movie stars. He was also a thief, a scammer. And an impossible loner who travelled the world chasing adventure and empty waves. His only real friend, a King Charles Spaniel called Scooter Boy. Our guest has been a surfer since the 60s as an author whose skills went me dizzy. He has written books about war heroes, comedians, cheesy crooners, Hollywood agents, and has interviewed crazy and evil Bill Gates, Tom Cruise, Jerry Seinfeld, Martin Scorsese, and literally dozens more. Our guest, the wonderful Mr. David Renson. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. And I'm really impressed with myself now. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you the intro a few times. <laughs> you grew up knowing of or knowing Mickey Dora. I never knew him, but well, I do think he pushed me off a wave at County Line once. But yes, I certainly knew who he was from all the magazines. What was your, what was your impression of who Mickey Dora was as a young surfer coming up? Based on what I read, I mean, I, you know, he, um, well, I mean, I knew he was good, obviously, but I mean, he was just this uh, interesting character who was not like all the other characters in the magazines. And most of the things that he said and wrote in the various uh, articles that he had help writing that I discovered later um, was pretty wild. And by the way, 50 years later, sounds much more true than it did then were you were you a fan out of the gate or were you like i mean as you as a surfer coming up right was he like okay this is what surfing is or was he weird to you or what was the no 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 he my track well actually i like mike doyle the best okay i like mike doyle i just uh he looked accessible he was a good sir i mean you know uh, when I was 14 years old, I didn't know the answer to these questions. Um, he just, um, you know, I like Mike Doyle. I like the things he said. I like the way he handled himself. I like Dora. Dora's, you know, Dora inspired me to just to go your own way. Otherwise, I would have gotten a job instead of being a writer for the last 50 years and depending on myself and doing my own thing. And of course, Mike Doyle did the same thing. So in his own way, only he just didn't steal from people. 
<laughs> so, so why is uh, why do you think Dora's so fetishized? Like you must have been a pain in the ass to have as a friend. So why did you want to write a book about him? Why did I want to write a book about him? Yeah, it takes a book to explain this. Um, he was in the magazines when I was growing up, and like I said, he was fascinating to me. Um, and you know, but I didn't think about him very much after I quit surfing, you know, and doing that kind of thing. And I just became a writer and, uh, you know, started writing for Rolling Stone magazine in 1970 and et cetera, et cetera, and just did my own thing. But in 1982, I came across a clip that said from the Denver Post that famous surfer in jail. And it was just about Mickey Dora. Now, previous to that, when all the surfer guys got together, we would say, hey, whatever happened to Mickey Dora? Is he, uh, is he a lawyer in Beverly Hills? Is he living with the, uh, you know, the Nazi, uh, the Wehrmacht in Argentina? What's, what's, what's he up to? Because, you know, Mickey always was quiet, you know. Um, and then I saw that thing and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I want to find out what's going on. So I got a, an assignment from California Magazine and to find out what was going on with Mickey. And I did, I found him finally four days after he got out of the Lompoc Men's Penitentiary. And, you know, he, I, I, in the interim, I had talked to some people, you know, that, that knew him, uh, mostly people who had complaints about him. <laughs> and. And um, I finally called his father, who lived in uh, Montecito. And he said, oh, I can't talk about Miklos, by the way, Miklos Dora Sr., a great guy, recently passed away at 107. Um, uh, great guy. Anyway, he said, I can't, I can't help you with Mickey, but I'll tell him. So he told Mickey that I wanted to talk to him. And, and then Mickey talked to a friend of his, a woman named Cynthia Applewhite. And Cynthia Applewhite called me and we started a four month thing of, she was checking me out for Mickey. Well, Mickey will, uh, Mickey will talk to you if you give him a first class ticket to Frankfurt. Well, Mickey will do this if you do that. And Mickey, well, Mickey will want to see the story. And I said, well, you can't do any of that stuff. Uh, and meanwhile, I talked to a lot of people and finally she called me up and I, you know, it's in the book. He, she said, Mickey thinks he's handling this badly. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet you, blah, 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 in some place two weeks from now. And typical Mickey, the next day was, Mickey wants to meet you tomorrow. So like not a lot of time to prepare. So um, I, I met him and we had a long conversation. It's in the book. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I did the story and he contacted me afterwards and wanted to meet up at Cynthia Applewhite's house. And now there's a whole connection, just other story through Cynthia Applewhite. But um, he, he sees me and it's, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And blah, blah, blah. And, and hey, that, that, book, that story you wrote, it's full of lies. It's full of lies. It's like, uh, you know, who did you talk? You only talk to people who don't like me. I said, well, if you let me talk to people who do like you, that would have been a lot different. But I didn't really whitewash him and I didn't trash him. Because so he complained a lot, and he finally said, "Okay, let's make a movie." So it's like he got in his bitch to me. Now he wants to make a movie. I set him up with uh, some people, and never worked out. Mickey wanted a lot of money. Mickey wanted all sorts of things, but he left everybody at the altar. That's 1983. It was on the cover of California Magazine. That issue has been collected. I remember once when I was interviewing Sean Penn, who's a surfer who said to me, you wrote that story? That immediately broke the ice. So we, we had a good interview. Um, and then I heard that Mickey died and I was on my 11th book. And I said, well, I'd like to write his book. So I called his father and uh, went up to meet him. And his father and I got along great. He'd read some of the books that you mentioned earlier. Uh, one of which the war hero happened to be the husband of Cynthia Applewhite. Small world. Oh, no way. Yeah. Can we, can we just go there to that, um, to that particular book? Because that's the one about the, 
the Olympian dude, he goes down in the Pacific yeah. in his B24, whatever yeah. it is. 42 Zamperini. Hours see. Yeah. Zamperini. So then, Louis uh, was Cynthia Applewhite's husband. And Ali, and, and she, she called me up one day. She called me up one day, incidentally, and said, Dave, you should listen to my husband on, on TV. He's on 48 Hours. So I said, all right. So I did. And I called her up afterwards and said, this is great. Who's writing the book? And she said, do you want to? I said, yeah. So I ended up getting the job. And he knew Mickey. So there's stuff from Louie in the book about Mickey, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to do Mickey. And, and, and things had really changed by 19, by 2003, when I started the book, and this is, I've forgotten more about Mickey than I remember, but by 2003, when I started the book, hundreds of people were happy to talk about Mickey. It died the year before. I had the right attitude. I didn't want to whitewash him. I didn't want to dance in his grave. I wanted people to speak an oral history where they spoke. I was non-judgmental. And most important, I didn't want to demystify the guy. Because Mickey and mystery are synonymous. You know, being slippery, elusive, synonymous. And I wanted people to experience what it was like to be with him through the people's, you know, stories. Instead of me explaining, well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you can make up your own mind. So that's why I wanted to write that book. And it turned out to be a fantastic experience. Five years, you know, of... Uh, talking to 300 people around the globe, going to South Africa, going to France, going everywhere, calling everywhere else. And getting, realizing that nobody at all had the whole picture about Mickey, nobody. What's, what is your impression of Mickey now? Like if you had to write Mickey's eulogy, not that he needs one, but what, uh, do you feel you have a handle on it? on what Mickey Dora was and who he was? Uh, my, my views are romantic and, and sober. Uh, you know, what is Mickey Dora? Mickey Dora is, is uh, you know, he'll never pass this kind of, will never pass this way again. He's, um, um, he's an artist. He was an artist, a sensitive kid, an artist. Yeah, uh, you know, I think he was um, the first surfing celebrity who knew how to play the PR game of less is more, you know? So I don't know if that's probably not much of an answer. Do I have a, I think I probably wrote something, something down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he makes surfing much more interesting. I think he had a lot of the right ideas about the commercialization of surfing. Although the fact is, you know, he couldn't turn it around. And he, so he, he, you know, dipped in whenever it worked for him, but he liked to be left alone and he liked attention. He was a contradict, he's contradictory, you know? Um, again, I'm, I wish I could find exactly what I wrote here and because it's much more poetic in the book, I have to tell you. Yeah, here's, really, here's, yeah. here's, here's, here's something though. I'll read to you something that John, you know, John Van Hammersfeld, right? He wrote, uh, he, he, he designed the Endless Summer poster, a lot of capital, a lot of albums, you know, Beatles, uh, Rolling Stones, you know, he's an art, really world known artist. And he said, uh, Mickey was media, a visual, a performance, he was a supremely conscious person and he thought of himself as a symbolic piece of the culture. He performed and acted out. He created theater and a reputation and stories about him have been collected in folklore. He didn't really talk about or analyze it, but the artist doesn't have to be articulate about what he does because it's intuitive, it's unconscious. And I think that's what, you know, Mickey just was basically id. You're id on the loose. He just did it and he, he, you know, there's so much. You know, one thing I encountered doing the book is how many people said, well, Mickey was private. He didn't want anybody to do a book. He didn't want anybody to know anything. Well, you read the book. He, did, he wanted people to do it all the time. Or he wanted to scam people all the time. He'd get some money. He'd leave them at the altar. But, it, again, I, I'm, I know you said you looked through the book. So, you know, he left... 
he left an apartment full of evidence and jittery. He didn't burn everything. He left it. I've looked through the boxes. I've looked through all of it. The evidence is there. He, he wanted something. And I, so I think Mickey would have hated my book, but he would have loved having it. I loved, I loved after you wrote the uh, piece for California magazine, he shat in the box and sent it to uh, former Jim surf Kempton. editor, Jim Kempton. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> that's, um, that's a wild thing to receive in the mail. What's that? I was just saying, yes, a wild, wild fucking thing to receive in the mail. Hey, a couple of years ago, yes. um, Dan Dwayne did a piece in the New York Times uh, what's it called? Yes. Uh, the, the Long Strange Tales of California Surf Nazis. And he said yes. that Dora often used ra- racial slurs and advised acquaintances to put all their money in gold before the Mexicans and blacks poured over the borders and ruined their economy. And while serving prison time, uh, he wrote to a friend that he loved American Nazis and he eventually re- relocated to apartheid era South Africa. And then in, then in an interview with Phil Jarrett, um, Dora said that the, uh, talking about Hollywood beach film, he said the Jews come down to the beach, they shoot their movie, sell it to the kikes, and they all make a pile of money. So was he, was he a Nazi? Yeah, redundant. Isn't that, I mean, I mean as slurs goes, that's redundant, I think. Yeah. What's that? I said, as slurs goes, that's redundant. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, pretty obvious. So was he, was he just a button pusher? Yes. I've read. All those comments, and I've read all 215 comments on Beach Grid about it. And I, I read the Dan Duane story, and I realized that this has come up. And, you know, I don't know Mickey Dora, so I don't know what he really was. I can talk to you. I don't know what his inner thoughts are. But was he a button pusher? Par excellence. That's what he liked to do. Personally, I do not believe he disliked Jews or black people or, or like not Nazis. That's insane. Um, I think that he is a forefather of localism. Absolutely. You know, he, he pushed him off the waves in Malibu. And people take that kind of thing and run with it. I mean, there's a lot of localist crews and a lot of breaks, right? So um, Mickey was all for that. He's all for infl- inflaming. I hear it's a story somebody told me. Mickey met these two women and um, I got friendly with them. I don't know. I think they were lesbians. I don't think that really matters, but they wanted to go to Palm Springs. And so he said, oh, can I go? And they said, sure. And then their Volkswagen. So he, but he, before they leave, he puts sugar in the gas tank and then just gets in the car and waits as the car slows down and slows down. And the woman gives it more gas and it breaks down and finally just stops. And he just gets out and says, I'll see you. And hitchhikes back to LA. And (laughs) he did it just to see what would happen. So was he an asshole? at times, you know, a small time petty asshole, but, you know, he used to write, he wrote letters from South, first of all, he loved South Africa and he wanted to be lived there. He wanted, he just uh, didn't want to part with the money it took to get a permanent residence visa. Um, He spent a lot of time with everybody. He wandered through the town townships, he was accepted. He got kicked out of his golf club, the golf club course, for letting the black caddies play with him. So, I, you know, how racist is that? I don't think so. But did, did he shy away from saying stuff that would interest his correspondence? You know, talking about the things you quoted. Yeah, he would do it. He had, his letters were structured. The first part was uh, sort of a standard. He, he would write these things and keep them in a notebook. The first part was sort of a standard hello from South Africa, sink or swim, you know, man overboard. The middle part was what he really wanted to say or ask you for. The third part was some sort of provocative thing. And he would just Xerox them differently for different people and send them off. He wanted attention. 
or he didn't want any attention except when he wanted it. He used to say, "Here's my spotlight." Answers your question. Is is Mickey interesting you to you today? I mean, do you still think of Mickey and like wonder about? I mean. The way Mickey Dora has captivated surf, right, for all these years, where it's been a bunch of surfers come and gone, and Mickey Dora is still Mickey Dora, right? Uh, yeah, he's unique. He's unique, and people battle. I mean, look at the comments section about this on Beach Grid about this stuff. It's like he's either great and he's defended, or he's basically uh, you know slammed for being an asshole. And they people will have this discussion forever, you know. Uh, so yeah, it keeps going. And there's no resolution to it. And what's really what it really is is he's a tabula rasa, and you basically blank slate that you your own feelings come out. You know, um, uh, you know he's uh, you know the battle. You know, I, I wrote it down. It's it's funny how culture uh, takes an asshole rebel and beast drifter makes him a culture by virtually of just being around a long time. And other people say love him or hate him or refuse to acknowledge him. He's for certain you can't ignore him. So yeah, is he of interest to me? Sure, he, he's he's interest. The book I wrote, and stop me from rambling. I <laughs> it was five hundred and fifty thousand words. That's an enormous fucking book. Yeah, That's enormous fucking book. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Okay, I have to cut it down. So I cut it down to two forty, because you can't surf on a doorstop. You know, it's uh. But I have left out stuff that just verifies and, you know, emphasizes stuff that's already in there. But there's, you know, stories. It depends on which edition of the book you have. You have the hardback. It's great. But the softback, you know, uh, the one that has the endless summer type cover has a whole bunch, a whole new chapter of truth and illusion stories. Stories I had to cut out because they interrupted the flow of the book. Because you, you know, when you write a screenplay, they often say that the, the, the last thing to cut is your favorite scene that you've been saving and saving and saving. And so, and I had to cut these stories, but they're great stories. And uh, they're, as Van Hammersworth says, they're collected. Um, so yeah, I find it to be fascinating because he's a bottomless pit. You can constantly find stuff. What form do you think Mickey would take now in 2021 if Mickey was a young man, 18, 20 years old, uh, in Malibu today? Because there's because the the new heir to Mickey's throne, of course, is Jonah Hill, the um, Hollywood sex symbol and great director. <laughs> so he he's become the modern day Mickey Dora. Do, do, do you think that's exactly how Mickey yeah. would um, present? Well, what, tell me. I mean, Jonah lost a lot of weight, right? So what's going on oh, yeah, looks- that I don't know about? Yeah, so he's surfing and pretty much dominating the Malibu lineup in a, in a kind Jonah of Mickey Dora esque manner. Jonah, Jonah Hill? Hill? Is that, yeah, should I call him and say, one of, should I send him the book and say, hey, make the movie? You can play For Mickey? sure. Yeah. I mean, Jonah oh, would God. do it. All. How has the Mickey Dora movie not been made yet, David? For sure, yeah. this book has been optioned a million times, right? How many options are it's, you in? I, I'm, I'm actually, I had, uh, I've had one option, one option. I had the Leo DiCaprio option that was optioned before the book was finished. It was a nice option. He had a couple of scripts written. He didn't like them or get into them, or he became Leo DiCaprio in capital letters by then. He was inundated, you know, a lot of stuff, Scorsese and stuff. Um, and I found a lot of people who were interested, but, and, and recognizing that once you sign the book away, you don't control anything the idea is to find somebody you think is going to be somewhat true to the story. You know, I don't want but Mickey's, don't Mickey's want to... dead though. Right. Like who, I mean, who does somebody have to sign off on besides you? Like if they option it from okay. you. Okay. Oh, well they could do it if they have the, uh, if they have the material to base it on. But I mean, they have your material, right? No, 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 you can't. No, yeah, no, you can't use my material because then I'll sue you when I, when it shows up in your movie. No, no, but Mickey's no. They're optioning it from you, right? Though Mickey's dead. Oh, if they option it from me, precisely. They option it from me. Yes. Yeah. So that gives him a a period of time to exploit the uh, to do a script to get to get it sold to do that stuff. Sure, that's the material. How is this not like through the moon? Well, that's what DiCaprio. That's what DiCaprio did for three years, and 
and then uh, gave it up. And then I've had, I, I approached, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm old. So uh, uh, Josh Brolin, who's a big yep. surfer. Yep. And he was interested, but ultimately decide, decided to sign on, as I heard, with Sean Penn for something that he was doing, which might have been on the Paskowitzes. And that never happened. Because Doc used to call me saying, I got this money from Sean Penn. Is this enough money? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't <laughs> The confine, the confidant. So, so yeah. So, uh, also Mickey Dora. You know, is he a, a can he a redemptive character? Now, if you've read the book, I think he does redeem himself in the end. And I think there's a way to make a movie. That, sure. I mean, you've seen that. You've seen the uh, DiCaprio right doing the Howard Hughes story. Yeah. Did you see that? All right. I of thought course. that that was too big, too long, too much of a life. You need to you need to condense it. You know. And you catch Mickey at his when he's got some young, naive energy and then he gets bitter and then he redeems himself. And so there's a way to do it. I'd love to do it. I'd love to have someone do it. I've thought of it forever, but it's got to be whoever you know, let him call me. <laughs> I mean, yours, yours is the book, though, right? I mean, this is it. You have the definitive Mickey Dora book. So yours is the book so. option. I, I, yeah. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are a couple others. I mean, there's, you know, the Tom Adler, Drew Campion, uh, Craig Stesek book, Dora Lives, which is very good. It's, it, it, you know, it's mostly pictures and Craig's writing, Drew's writing. And they, and Drew and Tom allowed me to quote liberally from it. And I think there's some stuff in French, uh, but mine is the book because I spent five years and I have, like I say, 300 people and I have twice the material. It's all there. So, yeah. So, yeah. any Hollywood screenwriter slash producer listening, stinking, this, I mean, this, this is, is a ridiculous that this thing has not been optioned to the, like, to the stars. Well, it's a question, of, right. I mean, listen, I've, a lot of people have been interested once my agent told me that, you know, these guys all like to have their own take on Mickey and he's a complicated character who makes movies that with complicated characters. So you got that narrows the field down right away. Tarantino. But yes. Well, the know, Tarantino Dorothy. Yeah. He, Tarantino's on his 10th movie though. I think Tarantino said, I'm only making 10 movies and he's, on uh, his he's a liar. Good. Let him Just lie. Like Let him, yeah, let him do Mickey. Let him cast Jonah Hill, you know. There's so many people who could play Mickey at different ages. You know that who, who plays him today? Jonah. Well, I mean, yeah. Jonah plays him. Uh, young, Joe, uh, I mean Roland We got this all day, every day for you, David. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, Derek you know. and I won't take any money. We'll just we'll just facilitate. We won't even you take facilitate. a fine on that. You'll, yeah. get, uh, you'll get you'll get a big thanks, that's for sure. Um, we'll we'll geez, get right about the it nonstop. That will be our thanks. So, and then what's, yeah, the, so what's, yeah. what's the opening scene? Because I reckon the opening scene's a uh, aerial shot of that Ferrari driving around Montecito. Mickey's close to death and his friends picked him up in the Ferrari and they're driving around. Oh, yeah. Cuts to the pool. A good natural flavor for this shit, haven't I? What's that? I've got a natural flair for this uh, screenplay writing. Bullshit, you're, you're, haven't I? You're a natural. You are a natural. There you go. You start there. I sort of see the movie starting with him getting out of prison and being picked up by uh, a beautiful blonde, Cynthia Applewhite, and driven down to Santa Monica and where he wants to go surfing immediately. And he goes in a natural progression surf store shop and says, uh, Mickey Dora, can I get a board? And the kid says, ooh, what? Mickey Dora? He says, just call your boss. So his boss gets on the phone and he says, Mickey Dora, give him anything. And then you, he goes out in the water, like the pier, Santa Monica Pier or somewhere around there, State Beach. And he stands up and he falls off. Then he tries again and he stands up and he's a little bit better. And then he stands up and some hot surfer goes past him and pushes him off. And then Mickey stands up and goes after that guy and whips his ass. And then he's in the, you know, in the pocket and 
you're suddenly transported back from Mickey at middle age to Mickey, young Mickey, and the story starts. And, uh, you know, Mickey was all about the ruination of Malibu and the ruination of the California dream and the ruination of his, his private beach, you know. And he, so he went around the world looking for, you know, for it again. Found it in J-Bay, loved J-Bay. You know, a lot of fans out in J-Bay. How good does Mickey actually surf? Okay, well, yeah, you can't compare him to guys who ride shortboards and carve the wave like they're riding, a, you know, in a skateboard in a pool, you know. But even compared so, to Mike Doyle, like compare Mike Doyle to Mickey Dora. I think Dora was, an, I, I like Dora. I mean, I like Mike Doyle. And as Mike Doyle told me, he could, Malibu, he loved Malibu so much he could ride it with his eyes closed. Um, but, but Dora just had that, he, he, you see how you see how he moves his hips and his legs like he's skiing and uh he's just a natural um you know and it has just style and of course he's you know he was he was uh i thought he was really good but to say anybody's the best or the worst you know I, that's hard to say although they always say it because certainly at times you know people are the best I like that, um, you know, the reasons that he left California, <clears throat> he spoke about ecological disaster and first world corruption and, uh, and the death of the individual. They're perennial themes, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think he really meant it. But he also left California because the cat couldn't be caged and he didn't like being on probation for stopping a check for ski equipment in Mammoth that he claims uh, the equipment was shabby and the judge had it out for him. So... I'm sure they're both the truth. He just they took off. But yeah, I think that he, he longed for, and this book was originally, originally going to be called All for a Few Empty Waves. But Empty Waves is sort of like maybe a little downer to the American public. So Perfect Waves is part of the, you know, part of the language. So, that, you know, but I, I make a, there's a point in there where his girlfriend, Linda Kai, said all Mickey wanted was a few empty waves. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do think he, he had a way of just being able to roll the words and enhance things and sound like he knew a lot of stuff. But I mean, in that stuff he said to Bill Delaney in Surfers, the movie that you, I think you're quoting, um, he meant it. You know, he was a cultural critic. Was that you know that piece in uh, uh, Surfers the movie, the, the film we just spoke about? Was that rehearsed, or did it, was it totally off the top of his head? You think? You know, I see the kneeboard. Yeah, out of his head. I actually I can't remember where, but I did see something similar to that written somewhere else earlier. But Delaney told me it was just out of his head. I went to the house, he showed me where Mickey stood, because he lived in Ventura till before he died. Uh, Delaney said, here's where Mickey stood here and did this, and I said that, and he just, uh, he just rolled it, and it was great. It was just great. Um, and it's never been forgotten. Did you tire of Mickey Dora as you were moving through the story, or did he become, or was he perpetually interesting to you as you were working on the material? Like, That's or did you ever think this butthole? No. Well, yeah, I thought this butthole, but not because that didn't make me tired. I mean, he was, you know, uh, no, he was perpetually interesting. He constantly changed. He went from one phase. I mean, if you, if you, in the book, there's, you know, it's, it's um, loner, rebel, outlaw, legend, wanderer, legend. Those are the five sections. And, you know, when he was an outlaw and he finally takes you through the, him going to jail and all the stuff that he wrote from jail. And then he came back and he decided to go back to France and he started wandering. And you can feel there's just a really in your stomach, you can feel the sea change in his personality from one phase to the next. He was just living in South Africa for 
not, you know, hanging, you know, no audience, making real friends as much as he could have real friends. But, you know, people didn't want anything from him. Uh, so, yeah, I was perpetually interested in him. It's oh, rare. Michelle's living. There you go. I don't know, I was just saying it's a rare thing as for a writer to find something that's perpetually interesting. Totally. I mean, that's why it's to sit down with the subject for that long. I mean, that amount of words, 500,000 words in this guy, like is to, to still like, which I guess is testament to Mickey Dora, that he was a real thing, at least in terms of an, a real thing is an interesting subject. Yeah, I mean, like I say, everybody had a little piece of the pie and they could tell you the story. And I had people coming in with wildly praising him and people who really put him down. And, you know, there was some of that there, but I really did not want to tell you what to think. And since I, as you mentioned, I did a lot of Playboy interviews. With, you forgot to mention Cindy Crawford, but, uh, <laughs> and other beautiful women. But, um, yeah, I I, uh, I I love working with voices, and and I think most of the people who are in the book and prior to Mickey's death, they're always protective and afraid that you know he would just be painted as this uh, scoundrel, this um, right, this this guy, this this um, you know, this crook, and I mean, here's here's something I wrote. You may ask yourself, what is it about surfers that will make them forgive almost anything? Not everyone absolved Mickey of his sins, but many, many did. Is it because Mickey was, well, Mickey? Is it the charisma combined with the doggedness not to go along? The element of surprise he always offered? Is it because he did something the rest of surfers and the rest of us can only approach, mostly in our dreams? Is it because he could keep a secret? Is it because he understood that the world of men, although it appears solid and rooted in dry land, is in many ways a sham and a mess and about yoking oneself to debt and people and really it's an all illusion and crutch and temporal where the ocean is perpetual motion in one's place and it will always be the same. You can never argue with the ocean and wind. The ocean will always be bigger than you, always. You bet you relate to that. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Is it, is it just because people are naturally groupies around famous people? What's that? Is it the reason that people forgave him for being a uh, for that for being an asshole and ripping him off and everything? Is it just because people are naturally groupies? It's, it always surprises me how how quickly people will jump on someone's metaphorical cock just because they're famous. Oh, absolutely, and it's worse today. Um, Look, Mickey had his groupies, his stooges, as he called them, the people who would enable him, you know, and they were, uh, uh, what's that, uh, um, codependent, you know, term. Um, and so there are people who were, I was ripped off by Mickey Dora, that I'm cool. You know, it's not like getting ripped off by you, but Mickey ripped me off. So that was a thing to be cool. He pushed me off a wave. And then there was people who thought he was just a complete asshole who was pushing people off of waves and stole their surfboard. So he was an example of someone they could point to as what everything that was wrong with surfing. But Mickey, I, to me, always embodied the rebel heart of surfing. Okay, it's just the, you know, I do this because I want to do it because it's my church. I don't have any other reason. I mean, I could, re I could read something again, but essentially, you know, I ended the book. I ended the book with a story that um, I was told by Sam, uh, Sam George. Um, and, you know, it's, um, I think it pretty much, you know, went to the heart of it. And if you indulge me, you'll get it. Um, Sam George told me, he says, one night in the late eighties in the old Atlantis hotel that used to be on the beach in Jeffreys Bay, I was in the bar, a classic dark bar and Mickey walked over. I'd come to interview him at his request and we'd seen each other a couple times, but the interview never happened. This time he said, hey, let's just talk a little bit. I sat next to Mickey. He wore a great coat and he looked pretty dapper. Scooter Boy was there. I didn't have a tape recorder. This wasn't an interview. 
we had developed a rapport, a surface, and I didn't want to change that and suddenly become a reporter. Mickey talked in what I would like to think was a relatively candid manner about how much he loved to surf and how much he always loved the sensation of surfing, the actual acute feeling of it. He talked about what he looked for in a wave and about moments on the wave. He had a song to sing and he did it on a certain kind of wave and he described that wave, a point break obviously, and he told me how he'd looked for it in many places and now Jeffrey's Bay had it for him. We talked for an hour and a half. He prefaced almost everything with, you gotta understand. He said everything he did and everything he became and all the stuff that people made him out to be, right or wrong, the root of it all was this feeling he got when he surfed. All surfers look for those moments. He was no different than I was. I thought, that's all I need to know about Mickey Dora. The legend of Mickey Dora is so big, but underneath is just this guy who loved to surf. Uh, classic Sam George, isn't it? Classic Sam George. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Oh, it was a great way to end the book. It was a great way to end the book. I was very impressed by the way um, Dora died, you know, tanning by the pool in Montecito. It's, it's quite, it's, it's portrayed in quite a romantic way. And when I mentioned it to Matt Warshaw, he sort of said, yeah, it wasn't as romantic, romantic as it sounds. What did you learn about the way he, uh, you know, his final days in Montecito with his dad? Well, his dad told me that, you know, Mickey just, you know, when he was feeling, when he could no longer really do things, but he wasn't too far gone with pancreatic cancer. And, you know, from my own personal experience, I, I know that <clears throat> you can have, you can feel okay for 11 months and then the 12 months you're gone, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, Mickey would lie out and tan you know, he went with his catheter in. He would uh, be very nice. He was grateful to be at his dad's house with uh, with his wife, Christ with his dad's wife, Christine. Both of them were really great human beings, and trusted me. Thank God. Um, and he would receive his visitors, but then he started to deteriorate, and he couldn't come to dinner, and he couldn't do this and that. And finally, he was just in bed. You know, like the story says. Uh, using the morphine drip, trying to deal with the pain. And he just, you know, one day he just, like his dad said, I went in to see him at 2.30 in the morning and he was, he was there and I went in at five and he was gone. So was it romantic? I don't know. The thing about it is that, I don't know, what just occurred to me is that the whole thing about him dying at home with his dad he was, he was, Mickey was always in moving in motion, but those, for those months, he was still, he set. So I think you could actually focus on him. You could really see what was going on. And then so many people, Greg Knoll, all these guys, they would all, you know, called in. It was interesting. I mean, so I don't know, where did Matt, Matt said it wasn't, uh, wasn't that romantic. And what piece was that? Oh, no, it was, just, it was just a little interview I did with him because I'd always spoken about how it seemed like a glorious way to die, tanning by the pool in Montecito. Oh. Friends coming by to give you rides in the oh. Ferraris and Matt sort of said, oh, well, yeah. it wasn't exactly like dying on the sunbed yeah. with your best ever son. Matt's a, Matt's a great guy who was, yeah. Yeah, Matt, Matt yeah, was a great guy. Listen, so one. many people helped me in this book. So many people. Matt, I mean, Matt was there. If it wasn't for Greg Knoll, I, you know, the doors would have been closed in a lot of ways. So many people came around and talked. Um, it's just amazing. Um, I have to give them all credit. And you know, I love the I love the but, line in that uh, London Times obituary about Mickey, and it said he was so much of a rebel that he rebelled in the end against surfing. He didn't. He didn't. I don't see. Like now continue. You didn't rebel oh, against anything? No, God, no. You know, he like he surfed until he could couldn't surf anymore. You know that that's Mickey. He didn't rebel against surf. No, that's crap. That's facile bullshit. And I well, think I get angry, David. <laughs> yeah, fierce man. Okay, um, no, David. I don't think. Yeah, I have a serious, and this is the last question for me for you. But this is a serious one. All right. 
All right. I mean, development serious. We've been talking okay. about Mickey Dora this whole time. You wrote another phenomenal book on Louis, Louis right. Zamperini, and Correct. evangelical, right. evangelical pastor, Olympic runner, yeah, evangelical, yeah. right? No, are you? Well, dis- yeah. are you dismissing? No, evangelical. No, I, I mean. No, 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 no. I'm not dismissing evangelical. He definitely was uh, pastor. I, I, I never thought of him as that. But speaker, but though, right? What's that? I mean, he was an evangelical speaker. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, in my world, I'm sorry. I am an evangelical Christian myself here. Exactly. So, uh, these subjects like Louis. Derek? Yeah, what, yeah, I was just saying you're in the cavalry, in the Christian cavalry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Equestrian. You're an equestrian as well as an evangelical person. He was. But also, <laughs> these, so wait, so Louis, though, as this evangelical, and Mickey as Mickey Stinkendora, these are wildly. Pull like on the polar opposite of subjects, right? Okay, yeah. That that you have written beautifully. Thank you. Do your subjects pick you, or do you pick your subjects? Well, it happens both ways. With Mickey, I picked Mickey. With Louie, I asked to do this book. I found what, out what inspired you about Louis. Like the Louis story is <laughs> yeah, Louis is yeah. incredible. I mean, it's, I mean, okay, all the years that I knew Cynthia, and we stayed in touch for many years after I did the California uh, magazine story about Mickey. We were just in touch. She never told me about her husband. I had no idea it was Louis Zamperini. Never heard of it until the day she called me up and said, "Oh, go go watch this." And, you know, if you watch this, you, you see what this guy is, what's the saying? There's, there's, uh, there's no second acts in America in a, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah in life. But there's seven second acts in Louis's life. So, you know, well, I mean, and it's an incredible. There's maybe eight. Well, okay. In Louis's we'll life. Take... Yes. Well, I thought it was only seven, but I won't argue with you. So, uh, so he, so yeah, it was an incredibly inspiring story. You, you just don't run across that stuff. And so I, and then I saw that then, once they said, okay, I could do it. And um, he had another book called Devil at My Heels that he had out in 1956. It was written pretty much under the influence of Billy Graham. And it was very evangelical. And the time on the raft was seven day, seven pages worth. It was really, he, Mickey, I mean, Louis hated that book. And, uh, you know, uh, so we started from scratch and, you know, he was, he was, Louis told me that, well, I don't know the Bible verse, but essentially about throwing seeds in the side of the road. Some of them take, some of them die right away. Some of them take, some of them sure. plant and then some of them grow. And he sure. was not a guy who was pushy. If you, if you read the book by the Louis book, you know, he, tried being very evangelical in your face, but it didn't work for him. So, and he used to tell me, I said, I'd go lecture someplace and I'd start off with the evangelical stuff. And then people would come up and say, why are you talking about Jesus? I, I want to learn about the war. And then he'd go and start with the war and they go, why are you talking about the war? I want to hear about Jesus. He was great. I mean, I learned a lot and he let me ask him, you know, I'm Jewish. He told me I was his favorite Jew. So that's good. Um, he told my <laughs> wife too, so I have a witness. Well, so, friends of Jews. Yeah. And so he, he was, he would answer all my questions about, you know, scripture and about what it meant. And he explained, uh, like I said, I don't know if you read the book or his follow-up, you know, don't give up, don't give in, where he literally explained to me what it was like walking forward to Billy Graham and getting down and accepting God and the feelings that he got. You know, uh, so he put it in his, you know, into plain language. So it wasn't a big mystery. But yeah, Louis was, 
you know, we stayed friends right up to the end. In fact, I did a second book with him and he died two days after we finished the book. You killed him. You killed Louis Zamperini. Yeah. There you go. Oh, wait. So the Jeps could, you, Jeps you kill as David Resnick, right? You as what? David Resnick, you got stinking <laughs> Rick Dora on one hand. You got Louis it's Zamperini David on Rens- the other. It's, it, it's Rensin. Yeah. <laughs> Rensin. I'm sorry. Did I say Resnick? Yeah, that's a common mistake. Rensivitz. Yes, right. That probably was that once upon a time. Uh, yeah, right. that's, I mean, I was channeling. I was, I was channeling, yeah. but you as David Renzo, you got yeah. like literally a icon of Christian faith on one hand. Right. You got sticking Mickey Dora on the other hand, the icon of rebellious surferness. Like, do these guys pick you or do you pick them? Do you... Waiting through to this. do with it. That's what I like to hear. Possible, you know, anything's possible. Um, I, I, they, well, they have to. Mickey had no choice. His father picked me, and Louis did pick me, and uh, you know, we worked together for two years writing this book, and it's in his is his voice. It's first person, and it's and Louis was not a very emotional or open guy about. Yeah, his emotions about stuff like that. Uh, and he had been talking about his story for years and years and years. So I thought, it was, you know, a lot of people like that book. There's, of course, there's uh, Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand, who wrote his story from a historian's perspective with more information. But I think she was a little short on the, on the Christianity stuff. Um, I thought it should all be in there. And I thought it was a much more connected book because it's his own voice. So, so, uh, and so but Mickey, Mickey was spiritual. Mickey was, according, there are people in Mickey's book who say he was spiritual too, and he tried. You know, I mean, he was not only did he go to Louis for some counseling, but he, you know, he converted. <laughs> he converted to being a Mormon in New Zealand. Really? But he did it. He said, "Yeah, he just did it because he said no one had ever asked him to go to heaven before." So he said, "Okay," huh. and then he got dipped in the pool. There's pictures in the book. Um, and then, Mickey Mickey Dora was a Mormon. Well, you know, he he converted. Is is, is it stuck to him and label? I don't know. And uh, but yeah, he did it. And then um, and I talked to the guys who set it up. So and then he uh, he he did spiritual stuff in South Africa. He was looking. I mean, he wasn't. I don't think he was cyn- cynical about that. But he wasn't very obvious about it. But you know, are you? I don't think he cynical? stayed. About what? About religion? Cynical? No. I mean, religion has its good points and its bad points. Church has its good points and its bad points. Are you are you practicing? Practicing. Well, I took my first communion about a month ago. That's because I went to church with a friend. I went to a church with a friend of mine. No, no, it was an Episcopal. It was a Methodist. 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 I'm a Catholic. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so I went there. I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. I went to, but I went to church with a friend of mine, and and uh, you know, the pastor, who I really like, said, uh, you know, anybody can have communion. It's open to anybody who wants it. I said, what the fuck? So okay, I went down there. I did it, and it's great. Good on you. I, you know, are you lucky to be Jewish? Judaism is the best religion. Oh, uh, no, it's, it certainly works for me. I like it. It's a great if, culture. If they take me, I never join. Yeah. I want to be with God's banking. Got some bills to pay. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, so you know, Mickey and Louis would seem to be on opposite ends, but they're both great stories. Um, and they knew each other. That's the weird thing. They knew each other. Yeah. So they were connected. That is fucking wild. So Chaz, you're suggesting this is super supernatural occurrence. Is that what you're suggesting? The, the I mean, that's sort of. I'm thinking that David is a conduit for fantastic stories okay from your ears to god's from your lips to god's ears yes um, that's what i'm saying yeah well you know i i think like i said louis was louis was very giving and he explained it all in detail to me and oh mickey's brother guard chapin jr evangelical 
Oh, really? Yes. And thanks to Louis, thanks to the education I got from Louis, I was able to get past guards guard and get him to talk to me about Mickey and him and growing up with his dad, guard Chapin senior. And yeah, so that was, you know, thank, thanks to Louis for that, for that lesson. I can work with anybody. What's guard Chapin junior doing these days? He's dead. He died on his 60th birthday. (laughs) When he was underneath his car doing some, some fixing something and it fell on him. Oh, I'm surprised yeah. it didn't have more. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, David, you know what's really fucking wild? You, you, just, you just mentioned Guard Chapin Jr. and Guard Chapin, etc. And the and the Louis Zamperini Nikki Dora coincidence. You know what the the final piece in this puzzle is? No problem. My son's name's Guard. All right. How about that, eh? How about that for a fucking metaphysical coincidence? God's right. lips have been all over that. We're, we're, Derek, <laughs> we're, Derek we're Riley is going to start to believe. Yeah. Here you go. Gotta start to believe. I'll be, yeah. be joining the cavalry with Chaz riding around their horses, converting people. I'm telling you, I've been, I've been telling you for years, Derek Riley. <laughs> well, like I said, I want to be a Jew, but they don't take interlopers, uh, which is a good thing. Oh, come on, Christian's sake, everyone, come on over here. I know, I know. But you can kind of choose. We got David Resnick a Methodist now. I can't <laughs> believe David Resnick's a Methodist. Of all the dang branches. Yeah, I don't think I. I don't think it's stuck. It's just you know an experience. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't be, you haven't become a map. No. A minor attracted person. After joining Christianity, yeah, I, do I do like. I do like the uh, sermons. They're they're very good. They're all about Christian values that are enlightened and progressive. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, um, thanks, David. That was lovely to chat. Sorry, yeah, sorry so good. Such a pleasure. Sorry, well, I appreciate. Resnick. I appreciate. Yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> could be resin. It could be resin. David Resenberg, huh? Listen, my name is an anagram for sinner. So, you know, you could do that too. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Oh, coming to my heart. Jesus. Just coming to my heart. Yeah. I'll throw, I thought I'd throw that in at the end. Um, yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate, I appreciate that you read the book and that you're interested. I hope I was somewhat enlightening uh, about it. Uh, you know, and thank you for allowing me to read a couple paragraphs that I couldn't remember. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So, you know, the thing is, and, you know, I'm glad I'm doing this because I have to say that, uh, and I know I should mention this, my friend Deanne Stillman, uh, a writer of great repute, uh, and I are going to be at the Mystery Inc. bookstore in Huntington Beach on November 20th at 1 p.m., where I'm going to spend 15 minutes talking about Mickey and she's going to talk about her book, Mustang. So we can fulfill our dream of doing a show together, surf and turf, because hers is about the Mustang, the wild horses of America. She wrote the- Wait, November 20th. Yeah. Which is Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. And she she wrote, yeah. Are you around there? Okay. I'm going to come out and see you. Okay. She wrote the she wrote the, uh, the preface to the new the new uh, edition of Gidget. She's written about Gidget a lot. She's very into surf culture, so and it's been her idea. So uh, I'm happy to do it. What yeah, time? So are you talk, <laughs> one o'clock. One o'clock. One o'clock say, on I'm, Saturday, November twentieth. Yeah, I'm going to say the same things I said here, only differently. But it'd be nice right. to meet you. I'm coming up and giving you a hug if you'll take it. Okay. All right. And a little wafer thing, a little little Christian wafer biscuit. You gonna take your horse, Chaz? You take your cavalry horse? Nope. I'm just gonna drive the Volvo. I didn't have, I didn't <laughs> have a wafer. I had a piece of sourdough bread. <laughs> yeah, I better. You went to an art sourdough bread to an because it's easier for the old people. It's easier yeah. for the old people to chew. Perfect. <laughs> All right, David. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thanks, David. Making this happen. Talk right. to you See soon. See you Saturday. Later.
All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.